Stories connect us as humans. A well-told story can motivate and inspire us. Storytelling is the ultimate superpower. Be The Drop is a weekly podcast that investigates how to tell stories that engage. Join me, Amelia Veal, on our shared journey to become better storytellers. In episode 233, we investigate how to empower men as advocates of the gender equality conversation for the benefit of both men and women. The audio for this podcast comes from episode 7 of our documentary series, Transcending the Gender Narrative. We hear thoughts from Annalie Blundell, Hunter Johnson, John Yo, Bruce Jitte, Jeremy McVean, Dakani Ayubi, Jamie Pride and Grant Osborne on how to create united conversations to support gender equality. If you'd like to watch the episode so you can see exactly who is saying what, hit the link in the show notes. Are you starting a podcast? Narrative Marketing delivers a full range of podcast production and training options. Visit narrativemarketing.com.au or hit the link in the show notes for more details. One of the conversations we really need to be having is the one where we can acknowledge the potential inner dialogue that men are now having around this, that they don't feel safe enough to talk about without looking sexist, without looking like they're not supporting the movement. But actually, it's just a secret concern that they have. And these questions are things like, if I support women in the workplace, will I lose my job? That's a genuine question. And the answer is possibly, possibly. This is why everything's a double-edged sword and where language is really important and why we can't go, it needs to be equal, it needs to be the same. It just needs to be what is going to achieve the outcomes that we want, knowing that these certain parameters are currently in place. So how do we create an experience where they actually have that moment of awareness? Uh, oh my God, actually, I feel empowered to do something about this and I'm not gonna lose anything. I'm not gonna lose my slice of the pie by giving away a bit of power, but actually we all win. And I think it's, you know, speaking the language of the different industries, you know, if it's the boardroom level, you know, the profitability of your company from increasing, you know, diversity by X percent or quotas or whatever it may be. You know, let the statistics be the sledgehammer where people turn around and go, wow, we really need to do something about this, you know, get government support, get support of, of men championing the cause. That's a better approach than disenfranchising those that you really need to affect change. You know, a lot of the CEOs are men. A lot of the decision makers are men. If you want to make real change and not just people telling you that they're going to change, then you need to bring the men with you. If I had a magic wand, some of the key changes I'd like to see would be more dialogue, more courageous dialogue, sitting in the discomfort of the unknown. Should I ask this person how they're feeling about this? Should I broach this particular topic with this person, even if it feels slightly risky? I say do it. This is around showing up human to human, putting the gender aside, eyeballing the human in front of you and saying, what does this person need right now? What's the best version of myself? And how can I bring that to honor and see the best person in them? 
If we're not having that level of conversation, we're never going to be able to have the right kind of narrative around this story. The Me Too movement generated incredible attention on serious injustices that as a broader society we must address. However, for some men, there was confusion and hurt about where the anger of this movement was directed. And because of this, many men chose not to participate. To transcend these critically important conversations, how do we create gender narratives that have space for all people in these movements? How do we shift from a men versus women conversation and how can we work together to focus on creating better outcomes for everyone? The Me Too movement was just so huge and a valuable conversation for society to be having on here are some things that have existed that we've tolerated or we've brushed under the carpet. I'm not going to do that anymore. We're going to bring this to the surface. And even more powerful is when we're working together, when that doesn't become a a men versus women or a dads versus mums conversation, that's not it at all. It's through working together to address these harmful things that are happening, whether it's harmful stereotypes or harmful actions and working together. I know a number of men felt kind of like on the back foot, like we we're being persecuted, but we've all got a role in stopping those type of things happening. It doesn't mean necessarily that human myself, I've been personally involved in some of what a Me Too incident might be, but I've got a role in stopping it happening again. I think the Me Too movement has its flaws, but that's no reason to kind of cast it all aside. The first thing it's done is bring gender as an issue um, into the mainstream kind of conversation again, which is a good thing. But um, I think we have to be careful with what we do with that attention and with that momentum. Next. If I tell you honestly, a lot of my male friends were just like, <laughs> this is this is extremism, <laughs> like you know. So you know you've got to find that that balance where you're getting the cut through, but you bring people along with you. You know you, you're bringing supporters along. You don't want to go with a sledgehammer, and then everyone else starts to arc up and get their back up and start to push back and say, no, nah, it's taking it too far. You know, there needs to be a more diplomatic strategy. You know, I, I, I always believe. I'm, I'm, real believer in diplomacy. If you can do it diplomatically, you're much better off doing it that way. I, I haven't been in those shoes, but I would argue that a lot of women feel, we've been trying to do this diplomatically for a hundred years and we're not getting anywhere. That's why we've had to, to, to take this sort of action. And what we see, particularly in this kind of highly turbulent emotional gender debate that we're seeing on a large scale, is a lot of men are choosing not to participate um, because that risk of the persecution of the other side and if you make one mistake now then Twitter gets a hold of you and then you sucked into the vortex and there's never a chance again and so what we're seeing particularly is a lot of boys you know we hear the words toxic masculinity all the time a lot of boys are just choosing not to engage with that but actually because that's the story they've inherited around being a young man they play into that. And so I think in any movement, they're incredibly important players. You know, it's important that there's Clementine Ford, you know, who is angry and rightfully angry, but like charging forward. At the same time, we need calm voices in the center who can bridge between the angry activists and the confused male saying, I don't see it. And now I'm too scared to say I don't see it because I feel like I should see it. And now I'm just gonna become a target. So what we have to understand is that the injustices in terms of inequality and, 
are a result of, as I talked about, second generation bias. This is something that's been going on for so long. It is literally in the walls and the structures and the systems that we've inherited. So men today grow up and they inherit this. And if they don't feel like they are bad men doing anything to perpetuate bias against women, they become confused. I'm not a bad man. I don't understand all the anger towards man. I don't understand why you're getting so much support in the women's camp and now I'm feeling bad just for being a middle-aged white man. I feel bad now. And I don't know how to apologize for that. I don't think I should have to apologize for that. I don't feel like this issue is my fault. I actually worry for my son more than I worry for my daughter. So if you look at him, he's in year 10. As a young man, um, he feels, to a certain degree, he's hearing a narrative of original sin. You know, he, you know, he sort of comes home from school, um, and I think that the, there's a certain narrative, and I don't think it's, in a, it's a widely ranged narrative, but certainly there's a narrative where young men are feeling excluded. Um, and I think that's not the, that's not the intention of the feminist movement, but it has been one of the effects that we've actually created a schism. Rather than bringing people together, I think we've created an adversity-based environment rather than a collaborative environment to solve the problem. And so, you know, you've got a small minority of men who've been misogynistic, who have ultimately practiced, you know, bad workplace behaviour. But that's not representative of the broader male population. And I, and I think the allies that could be recruited in the male world aren't being recruited because they're scared of having a conversation. They're scared of engaging around gender because clearly, you know, they don't feel that they should be able to have a voice on the topic. Um, but also, I think more importantly that they're not just scared of speaking up, but to a certain degree, they don't know how to engage with the conversation. And so for me, those two factors mean that actually a huge ally and resource that would be available to a gender movement is actually being put on the sidelines. Often a lot of um, men don't have the education or the awareness or the language to be able to engage in a highly turbulent emotional gender debate. And I think it, I'm always very interested in who rises in society and when. Guys like Jordan Peterson mm. kind of go viral, um, you know, and giving um, particularly his audience as young men. And a lot of his content is pushed out on YouTube and YouTube is largely, 80% of YouTube viewers are men. But the fact that Jordan Peterson gives men confidence, gives them language, gives them a level of theory or education to be able to have a conversation that otherwise they feel ill-equipped. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's, it's the classic line of, um, to the privileged, equality often feels like oppression. The key thing now is you are still in positions of power. So your duty now, if you truly believe in equality, is to say, if I am not doing something to actively progress equality, then I am inadvertently honoring the status quo. That's where the conversation needs to be. So if you feel like you're a good man and you feel like you're a good leader, man or woman, and you feel like you're doing right by the movement or you truly believe in equality, then my question to you is, what are you doing on a daily basis? to forward that conversation or that action. So as a male, you hear all the time about inequality when it comes to females, but it really hit home when I had a daughter. 
and I suddenly realized that she wouldn't have the same opportunities or have the same constructs as I had simply because she's born a different gender. And that's when I decided I, I need to sort of actively do something about this. And she might not go into tech and I don't care what, whether she does or not, but if she goes into a world that doesn't have the same sorts of opportunities, then I failed as a parent. As a male going through uni in a male dominated environment, I was always kind of like, oh, that's probably a bit sexist, but never really, you know, said much or did much about it. Um, I think having daughters has sort of made me a bit more vocal uh, around saying, well, you know, it doesn't matter that they're a girl, like they can do whatever the hell they like, you know, you don't get to tell them what they can and can't do. Um, and I've sort of stood up for it a bit more amongst my friendship group and things like that that I previously hadn't. And I think that's as a result of being a dad of, of two daughters. One of the things we know is that when men have daughters, the way they respond to women in the workplace changes. And from my perspective, that's, it's, it's one of those obvious human nature things, right? So I don't care about the other person. And it's not because I'm not a caring person. It's because, to be honest, I'm flat chat. I've got a million things on my mind. I'm thinking about my own career. I don't have enough brain tank to be thinking about all these other things I need to take care of. But if you make it personal for me, all of a sudden I watch my daughters go through school, go through university, enter the workforce, I start watching what happens with their career, my perspective changes, how can it not? I care about this individual who happens to be female, who happens to now be presenting to me stories around those invisible barriers to which I had no clue about previously. Often we care about something when it becomes emotionally relevant to us. Like we have that penny drop moment of going, oh my God, does everyone know about this? They should know about this. Yet you've got, you know, the people from the most marginalised groups who have been championing this for a long, long time. And so if you've grown up with a certain story that this is what life is, you only know your conditioning. One in three women will experience physical or sexual abuse. Now I've got two little sisters who are 17 and 16 and that is the world that they're about to inherit. And so, again, what, how do we start talking about this like a public health issue? How do we bring boys and men on that journey, not making them feel wrong or shamed for their identity, but giving them the choice? Are they going to be someone that contributes to a system of inequality or someone that challenges that system? And what we've seen is that boys want it, but they just don't know it exists. And I think one of the things that the Man Cave does really well is that we create a space where the particularly for boys where there's no moralising. They're not good or bad or right or wrong, but they can just let it all out. They can ask the potentially politically correcting question. They can say the thing that's been on their mind that they've always wanted to say. They can ask the question which they've always been dealing with but they've never known how to answer. To see that in mainstream culture I think is really important, particularly in our context working with young men. Um, we use this language in our line of work that boy psychology is I am centre of the universe and man psychology is I am a part of the universe. And I think inside of that is the unique eldership which is really missing in society right now. Our young people are desperate for exposure to mentoring and guidance and eldership. And I think as a society we have that obligation to reinvest our time, our experience and our stories with these young people. If men can be more open and seeking help sooner and being more communicative and having the tools to do that, 
Um, that then opens them up to be able to have these conversations with their partners, have these conversations with their children. And what an amazing seed that's growing within their children, seeing men being able to live this broad palette, of being able to laugh one minute, cry the next, sing a song, have a dance, all these things that males of generations gone by have been defined so, so tightly. So not only will it improve lives for men, it'll improve the lives for their partners, their children, and our society with some of these awful things that we're seeing, that um, whether men are killing themselves or hurting, hurting those around them by attacking some of these sort of tight man box, harmful masculine stereotypes, we can address all of those things. I don't think masculinity is healthy or, or toxic. It's, it's masculinity and I think, um, you know, there's a, a light and a shadow to, to everything as there is with the feminine. And what do I think masculinity is going forward is, is freedom. You know, it's the, it's the ability to have choice that today I need to be stoic and strong and hold myself together, but tomorrow I might need to shed a tear and be more vulnerable and open up and be cared for and just to have that range in identity and a real comfortability in that range, I think is, is incredibly important because I think when we are exposed to people like that, in my experience, it gives me permission to be like that too. Thanks for joining me for another episode of Be The Drop. Don't forget to subscribe in order to ensure you never miss out on one of our weekly episodes. Be The Drop is produced by Narrative Marketing, where we believe that stories connect individuals and that powerful storytelling can positively impact the world. To unleash your storytelling superpower, visit narrativemarketing.com.au or check out our social links in the show notes. To contact me directly with any specific comments you have, you can email me via amelia at narrativemarketing.com.au. And don't forget that whilst a task or challenge may seem overwhelming, a waterfall begins with one drop and look what comes from that. This is a Narrative Network podcast.